0: Welcome, my name is Chris. I'm one of the elders, lead pastor here at the church. We're grateful if you're visiting with us this morning on this brisk Sunday morning. Um, A little bit chilly out there this morning, but sunshiny, that's nice. So you think we're going to get rain this, uh, I mean snow this week? Oh. Was that for rain or Snow. Snow. So some are thumbs up, thumbs down, got a mixed bag here, don't even know how to pray. (laughs) Um, We're really glad that you're here if you're visiting with us. We are a spiritual family that is uh, bent on loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then loving our neighbors as ourselves, going out from this place and loving people as Jesus has loved us, being an ambassador of his reconciliation, even loving those that are opposed to us, uh, our enemies. And I trust that you were blessed and ministered to by being here today. Uh, we are fasting as a church community. We do this every January. We enter into a 21-day fast, church-wide fast that is a, is a really significant time for our church community. Um, And during this time, I found myself hungry uh, and challenged, stretched, humbled, Uh, but I've also found myself helped and encouraged and really blessed, strengthened in the Lord. How about you? Yeah? It's been a rich time. It's uh, halfway through. We go through the 24th, Wednesday night, the 24th. I really encourage you, if you can, to be here for the prayer times on Wednesday nights. They've been very significant. It helps us when we pray together. Jesus uh, made it pretty clear that he wants his house to be a house of prayer. Um, He had some things to say about that because the Father, that's what he intended. Uh, And he did some things to make sure those that were capitalizing on the house of God um, at least had for that moment... Uh, A reduction in business. (laughs) Um, You know, I often say that fasting is giving up something good in order to get something better, uh, which is kind of a loose uh, definition. It's kind of a broad definition, and it really can allow us, in that definition, to abstain from things that might be normal to our lives uh, as a way of seeking the Lord. Things like certain foods or or sweets, or desserts, or social media, or Instagram, or screens, uh, entertainment. Those, those things uh, are kind of like when you enter into Lent for those who celebrate that and, and engage that, give up something in order to focus on the Lord. And that is a really good thing to do. I, I encourage you in that practice, I especially encourage you families to consider introducing that idea with your children. A lot of families allow for that to be the part of fasting that their kids take part in. And it teaches your children something about fasting. It helps them see that you all engage that together. And so that's a really special thing that you should be doing. But a lot of fasting that you will find in the Bible starts with giving up food and in order Really, to be awakened to God, to a deeper hunger for God, that we set aside eating food that we might eat the bread of life, that we might receive nourishment from Him. John Mark Comer says fasting is when you go without food for a set period of time to give your whole self more fully over to God. It's a whole body practice that is hard for us to get our head around because it has little to do with our heads. It's a way of consent of saying yes to Jesus, spiritually forming our soul, not through our intellect, but through our stomach. To interrupt our normal routine and not eat for a period of time, like from sunrise to sunset or uh, maybe for 24 hours, or for certain meals throughout a time period, like every lunch or every breakfast or both, or for multiple days, or giving up certain foods during a time period like Daniel did, what's called a Daniel fast. Um, when we do that, it's saying there's something more important in life than the eating we do to sustain life. And it's why Jesus, who was tempted by Satan, when being drawn into the wilderness by the spirit and fasting, he was tempted to turn a stone into bread. And Jesus said to him, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Fasting pushes past low commitment, low risk Christianity it pushes us into a serious type of following him where we have to address where we've been leaning and what we've been eating and where we've been drawing our life from. It's an examination of our heart. And it often leads to personal repentance and realignment and renewal in our lives. And as we seek God, we grow more dependent on his grace more desperate for his power, and more dedicated to his mission. Those are all good things. This morning, I want to look at Jesus, who is our example, and his example to us in fasting. And we just read a portion of that in Matthew, from Matthew 4. But before we do that, I want to share with us four realities that we, that we all face when we fast four realities that we all face. The first reality is sort of obvious, especially if you do fast, and that is, it's hard. It's hard. Uh, Captain Obvious is up here speaking to you right now. I found there's nothing that releases the power of God, increases my clarity of his voice, that provides a more tangible blessing, a greater intimacy with him in my life, in my walk with him, than fasting. It is a refining moment, a refining day or hours or weeks. However long that time is, it can refine my attention to him and what he is saying and doing. But I quickly realized that King's stomach, as Jensen Franklin calls it, King's stomach has more control over me than I thought he did. He tends to dictate what I do. Anybody else relate? Just, just decide not to eat something and see what King's stomach has to say about that. Uh, he pulls out his scepter and says, we're going to eat. I get hangry when I'm fasting. You know what that is? Hungry and angry put together. I'm hangry for things that I don't even like typically. Like that day old Chinese food in the office fridge. I start coveting that. It's like, wow, that really looks good. <laughs> or that half eaten chicken McNugget in my grandson's Happy Meal. I don't even like that chicken McNugget. But it's calling out to me <laughs> Eat me. You know you want to. (laughs) You're laughing because you know it's true. That's the reality, fasting is hard. It really cuts away a lot of stuff real quickly. Gets down to what really we're motivated by, our appetites, our consolations. Where we get our sustenance, not just physically, but emotionally, physically. The second reality is that motives matter. It matters. We can fast the wrong way for the wrong reasons or out of a habit or self-righteously with sort of a quid pro quo deal with God. I do this for you and you're gonna do something for me. We use him like a vending machine. Well, I fasted. Why didn't we get what we wanted? I prayed, I did what you said, I'm a good person. Isaiah 58 talks a lot about the right and wrong kinds of fasts. God says through his prophet Isaiah, behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Appearances only? Verse six, is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke? Is is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house. When you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. There's more, than fast, more to fasting than starving ourselves of food. We may have been doing it wrong all this time. If our hearts not in the right place, it doesn't really matter what we put in our mouth. Giving up some part of our normal routine, not eating certain kinds of food so we can look the part of holiness is nothing better than the Pharisees that Jesus called out in his day. Isaiah says God's people had deteriorated into religious observation for all the wrong reasons, with all the wrong motives. They looked sincere, but their piety was nothing more than a slick veneer covering an ugly condition. Ray Ortland writes, they sincerely believed they could ob- obligate and pressure God. And when their fasting and praying and self-deprivation didn't leverage cooperation out of God, they resented him. What poisoned their souls toward God was not sins like thievery and murder. What poisoned their souls was their religion. We can fast with the wrong motives doing things for the wrong reason. Our fasting has to be more than the appearance of holiness. It has to be real holiness that only we can achieve by relating to him and what he does in us. The third reality is we need God. When we fast, we need God. It points out just how weak and frail we really are. Just go without food for a few days and see how much stamina you have to do what you normally do. My mind starts wondering, I get foggy. I can't concentrate. I'm trying to go really slow speaking today so that I don't mess up my words. You know? We're weak, we're frail, and in fact, we are completely dependent on God. He is what holds us together. We think we have it together. He's the one that holds us together. He is outside of us, but he is required that we might be sustained. Of course, we seldom think of ourselves this way. Um, A lot of us feel invincible. We we act like we're in control, fully capable, self-contained, able to determine and make it all happen but that sort of thinking just doesn't hold up. We are dependent on God, whether we think it or not, whether we believe it or not. The fourth reality about fasting is the flip side of number three, and that is that it will expose the areas of our lives that we're not depending on him, but rather in other things. Where we don't depend on God, but rather we depend on other things in our lives. Oftentimes, good things, things that can be helpful. I loved what Patrick had us look at this morning about us being for God, not for our wives or husbands or family or career or job. We oftentimes look at those things as if they're our whole purpose and meaning, that that's what we depend upon and they depend upon us. But that's just not true. John Piper, in his book, A Hunger Hunger for God, writes this. The greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. It is not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven, but endless nibbling at the table of the world. It is not the X-rated video, but the prime time dribble of triviality we drink in every night. For all the ill that Satan can do, when God describes what keeps us from the banquet table of his love, it is a piece of land, a yoke of oxen, and a wife. The greatest adversary of love to God is not his enemies, but his gifts. And the most deadly appetites are not for the poison of evil, but for the simple pleasures of earth. For when these replace an appetite for God himself, the idolatry is scarcely recognizable and almost incurable. He continues, Jesus said some people hear the word of God and a desire for God is awakened in their hearts. But then as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life. In another place, he said, the desires of other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. The pleasures of this life and the desires for other things, these are not evil in themselves. These are not vices. These are gifts of God. They are basic meat and potatoes and coffee and gardening and reading and decorating and traveling and investing and TV watching and internet surfing and shopping and exercising and collecting and talking. And all of them can become deadly substitutes for God. Fasting exposes where we've put our dependence. In things other than God. What the enemy and our culture aim to do is to elevate the gifts of God so prominent in our eyes that they eclipse the beauty of the creator and giver himself. Who do you seek? What do you seek? The blessing in his hand that he bestows upon us or the one who bestows So fasting is hard and motives matter when we do it. And it reveals our dependence on God and exposes where we're dependent on something else. These are the things that fasting can do for us. You know, we see a lot of people and groups, even nations in the Bible fasting, seeking God's forgiveness and healing his direction, his intervention on their behalf. Hannah fasted when she didn't have a son. And God answered her with a boy named Samuel, who became one of the greatest prophet leaders of the nation. Jehoshaphat proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah when they were threatened by a vast army. And God answered them and said, the battle is mine. Watch and see what I will do. Esther called her people, all the Jews, to fast for three days to prevent the impending doom that they were all facing of destruction. And Daniel fasted 21 days and God dispatched his messenger to reveal the promise and the future. Both Ezra and Nehemiah, they they fasted as they worked to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem and then the walls about Jerusalem. When Jonah reluctantly went to Nineveh to warn them of God's judgment, the pagan king, the Gentile city, they all fasted. Even the animals were required to fast. They all fasted in repentance. You know what God did? He heard them and relented his judgment. Anna served God with fastings and prayers night and day, it says and she awaited God's promised Messiah. And as an old woman, she got to see him. Cornelius was a Roman centurion who feared God. He worshiped God with fasting. And it opened the door for Peter, who by the way was fasting at the same time Cornelius was, just at a different place. Opened him to come and preach to his whole household, an indicator real shift in the way, the new way would do things. The practice of fasting has always marked the lives of God's people. Even to this day, up until about the 1700s, most Christians fasted twice a week. John Wesley said he wouldn't take someone into his leadership group if they didn't fast on Wednesdays and Fridays of every week. We've lessened it here. We'll fast for CrossFit but, you know, fasting for Jesus, that's legalism, isn't it? I mean, we're under the new covenant. We don't have to do that now, right? We'll, we'll fast for dietary reasons. We'll fast, oh, intermittent fasting. That's the thing we do now, right? You know, to get control of your weight, to have a better health status. But we won't fast for the Lord. It's always been a practice of God's people. It's kind of a lost practice in so many ways. I might encourage you to consider inviting it back into your routine, into your life as a spiritual discipline to help you more fully hear God, see God, know what he's doing, and be intimately involved with him. Jesus himself fasted. We read in Luke 4, 1, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, Returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. I love the way the Bible just speaks the obvious. (laughs) But we want to make sure that we understand Jesus, while being fully God, was also fully man. His physical needs made themselves known, he was hungry. I'm glad he didn't say he was hangry, he was just hungry. Of course, this happens right after Jesus has been baptized by his cousin, John the baptizer. It was a defining moment for Jesus and really for all of history. It's where the voice of the Father God boomed out of heaven and rattled where they were saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then the Holy Spirit, in the form of a dove, descended and rested upon him. And Jesus had this glorious experience of the Father and Spirit, the Trinity, all represented there. And what did he do next? He stopped eating. He was led by the Spirit, it says, into the wilderness where he did not eat food for 40 days. Now, he's not the first of Israel's leaders to have done this. When God revealed himself atop Mount Sinai to Moses, uh, he led Moses into 40 days of fasting, twice, by the way. And when he revealed himself by fire falling from heaven to burn up a sacrifice on Mount Carmel with Elijah, Elijah took running after that because he was afraid of Jezebel. And in that process, God led him on a journey and he fasted for 40 days. And now God reveals Jesus at the Jordan, and immediately Jesus is led into the wilderness to fast for 40 days. We we typically think of fasting as something we do to receive God's direction or revelation or clarity, And, and that is certainly a part of it. It's a big part of it. But with Jesus, he's not seeking the Father to find out what he will do. He's fasting in response to what the Father is doing. Do you see the difference? A lot of times we want to transactionalize God. We want to put the work in to receive the ticket and then get on the bus and not consider whatever God might say beyond that. We wanna get the word, get the experience, get the revelation, and then go do it kind of in our own strength. But that's not what Jesus did. He'd heard the booming voice of the father, you're my son, I'm pleased in you. He felt the spirit come down upon him, rest upon him. And immediately he goes into the wilderness being led by the spirit to continue in that process of what God has already started doing. It's not just what will you do. It's what are you doing that Jesus attended to. All three of these power encounters of God's revelation by Moses and Elijah and now Jesus at Sinai, Carmel, at Jordan. All of them, their response is to fast. I think that says something to us. Do we respond to him like that when he does something, shows us something, reveals something? Do we want to sit in it further? Do we want to dig into it deeper? Do we want to give up more so we can attend to him more fully? Or do we just think, oh, we got it. We run off like a dog with a bone showing it off. We start a ministry. We start a podcast. We we start doing more posts on social media, we start making a platform for ourselves instead of just sit in the revelation of what God is saying. Let him more fully extend it to us, expand us in it, more fully give us revelation and allow for us to have an expression beyond our own strength, but that comes through him. I don't think it's our first instinct when we experience God to fast. I think... Our first instinct is to is to show off. We call it a testimony, and it's good, and I think we should, but I wonder if there's more we might receive from God if we rest in it for a while. We often have difficulty remembering it wasn't our initiative that caused God to move in the first place. Uh, We think that it kind of is, but it's always his initiative towards us that gives us the grace to move in any direction, especially towards him. He came to us, Emmanuel, God with us, in order for us to be able to come to him. As David Hazard asked by paraphrasing John of the cross in his devotional, you set my spirit free. He asked, can you sense him right now? I ask you, can you sense him right now? The longing in your soul is actually his doing. You may feel only the smallest desire for him. There may be no emotion about it at all. But the reason your desire rises at all is because he is passing very near to you. His holy beauty comes near you like a spiritual scent and it stirs your drowsing soul. I tell you again, it is not of your doing at all. This moment when your soul awakens, he creates in you the desire to find him and run after him, to follow wherever he leads you and to press peacefully against his heart wherever he is. Jesus was not only drawn by the Father, In these days of fasting, having received the affirmation and the power of the Spirit. But Jesus is the one who now draws you and me. The one who was drawn is now the one who draws. Do you sense him right now? And so we should take another look at how we respond to the move of God in our lives. We don't fast to simply get God to do something. We fast as a response to what he is doing. Lord, help us. Now As we continue in these next 15 days or so, um, I don't know if that's right. I don't know how many 13 days. How many? 10. 10. Ten. Ten. Wow, you need more faith, brother. Yes. <laughs> Just teasing. you already done 40. Already done 40. <laughs> <laughs> if we continue in these next 10 or 11 days of uh, fasting, let me encourage all of us who are engaging this time to continue. To. Keep pressing in. Don't give up. Don't be faint of heart. When you you falter, when you get weak, it's okay. Come back to him. He's the one that is enabling you to draw near to him. It's his heart for you that is pulling you near. He is wanting you close. And for those of us who have not entered into these days of fasting could I humbly encourage you to begin in some way? I'm not asking you to be a spiritual giant. I'm not asking you to do the 40 days like James just did. (laughs) I'm asking you to just take a step towards him because he's already moved close to you. Pick a day this week. Pick just a day maybe. Maybe. And fast until sundown. Just get up that morning and, and lay aside food and fast. And then at the end of the day, eat a simple meal of gratitude. And as you do, respond in thanksgiving Lord, thank you. I'm so grateful for this food, it tastes so good. And it's to remind me that you're good. Yes. Sweeter than the honeycomb. And if a full day is too much, then just start smaller. Skip breakfast. Break at lunch, or maybe if you can make it to 3 p.m., have your meal then. And then try to stretch your time out longer the next week. You could do it this week and do it next week. You could do it two times this week and one time the next week. Or you could fast as Daniel did, abstaining from certain foods like, like certain drink and meats and breads and sweets, just eating bland vegetables or, all right, put some salt in that. I don't care, but just focus on him. And in the time you normally would be cooking or eating or cleaning up or grocery shopping, <clears throat> give yourself to Prayer. Take those moments and seek him. Open up the word. Ask him to reveal himself to you. Ask him to help you to hear what he's saying. Help you and know what he's leading. Help you by uncovering things in you that you depend on more than him. Let him examine your heart. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any offensive way within me. And lead me in the way everlasting. And each time hunger pain comes, and it will, about five minutes after you start, remember that he is the bread of life. He is the bread of life that's come down, and man and woman and all of us, we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from God's mouth. God will meet your needs. He will purify your heart. Ask him. Take a step towards him because he's come near to you. The key to all of this is being led by the spirit. Do not fast out of idealism or spiritual heroism. Nobody's a hero here. Nobody needs to show off and brag. That's not the point of any of this. If it is, Isaiah 58, remember? Remember? And let's remember that while fasting is hard and motives matter when we do it, it will show our dependence upon God and expose to us where we are dependent on something else. And those things bear good fruit in our lives. I encourage you to take seriously the challenge before us to seek him while he may be found. To set aside things that you would normally enjoy And be encouraged by and strengthened by. Put them aside. And ask God to be all of those things for you more. May the Lord continue to lead us in this season. Amen. My wife is going to come and we're going to pray for you after she shares just anything that's on her heart. And then we'll minister to you and to the Lord as we close.
1: It's good to remember that fasting is not transactional. It is about intimacy. It's a way of abiding. In that same uh, devotional by David Hazard that Chris was reading from earlier, there's an excerpt I'd like to read before I pray for us. God offers to take you with his loving hand and lead you where you cannot go by yourself Hmm. along a way that no human eye can see the way of the Holy Spirit. What he wants when you hear his voice is for you to turn and go to him with all of your need, even your failures. Go and receive from him his forgiveness, goodness, release from sinful desires, receive his love, press and keep pressing into his heart until you have pressed the image of his invisible nature into the very substance of your soul. I said last week that what he offers us when we come with questions and concerns and needs is that he offers us himself And the reason we can do things in the kingdom after we fasted is because it's a way of abiding and that's where all the fruit comes from. Mm -hmm. So if any of you have had someone or someones on your heart during this fasting time and you have been seeking God for his intervention in their life, Mm then you heard Roger's word today about yes. if he's if he's left the 99 to go after the one and he's asking you to go after the one go do it yes but i'm telling you without this kind of abiding it won't work yeah and so if you've been praying for someone i encourage you add fasting to it Of some kind. Yes. Because he's here. He's ready. He has already released his heavenly host. That's what Jamie told us on the first Wednesday night. Yeah. That he has messengers ready to go with the prayer that you are praying with an answer. We need to abide.
0: Yes, we do. Would you join us in prayer?
1: Thank you, Lord Father, thank you for the opportunity to pause, to reset the rhythm of our lives around pursuit of you, to be reminded of our need, to get hungry. Yes, Lord. You've promised that if we hunger for righteousness, we will indeed be satisfied. So, Father, I thank you for the the petitions that you've put on each person's heart who's been seeking you during this time. You lead us through supplication. What we pray about matters too, and it's part of your doing. So, I ask, Lord, that you would continue to empty us so that we can be filled. We can be filled by you. We can become, as Chris said, people of your presence. That our abiding with you would not only change us but would make us effective in your kingdom. That it would allow us to be ambassadors of love and forgiveness and and life. Yes, Lord. Thank you for including us in this journey, giving us opportunities to connect, to be transformed, to receive, to love. May the fruit that you're putting in us during this time be an, an amazing harvest for you, Lord, both in our hearts, in our homes, in our community.
0: Lord, we recognize that all too often we're depending on things other than you. Even the gifts that you give us, we we lean on them rather than the everlasting arms of Jesus. Lord, forgive us where we have made those things our life they become the central piece of how we live where it's all the wonderful good things you've showered upon us but you're not at the center of it Lord expose those things in our lives in this season this time of fasting Lord we want to have pure hearts before you and Lord help us to hear your voice, to smell your scent, to sense your presence coming near. Lord, you you come near to us that we might draw near to you. And I pray that that would be a reality for us in these days, that we would linger in your presence. We'd not run around doing what we think you want. We'd stay with you long enough to realize where you're leading. And I pray that we would be people that do that, Lord, that linger in the revelation, that linger in the power that's revealed. In the in the encounter we have with you, the the power encounters and and the still so small voice encounters that we would stay there to receive the fullness of it. As we then are called to participate with you and And go out and be your ambassadors of mercy and grace, of reconciliation. I pray for us as a community, Lord, in these days, that we will indeed hear what you're saying, stay with you in it, and respond to you as you lead. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.